Support for this show comes from Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Loom help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. What's good, everybody? Welcome to episode 12 of the Off Day Debrief, part of the SB Nation NFL show. I am Rob Stats Guerrero of Niners Nation, and of course, with me as always, Brandon Lee Gowden of Bleeding Green Nation. What's up, Brandon? Stats, early happy Thanksgiving to you as we record here, Tuesday, Thank November you. 24th. Uh, and a little Thanksgiving tease here on the SB Nation NFL show. We'll be doing a podcast after Thursday's three games with Monday Football Mondays own i would say a, a top five uh podcast on the nba nation nfl show monday football monday uh rj ochoa and i will be doing a post thanksgiving football breakdown so make sure you subscribe and you go listen to that once it drops later this week thank you very much for your service i try <laughs> shout out to i austin who says unlike the philadelphia eagles the hashtag oddcast <laughs> never lets me down that's right <laughs> we are here for you Thank you, I, Austin. We love your reviews and your comments. Please keep them coming. You can always count on Eagles fan stats to support this podcast. That is, that's one thing Eagles fans can look forward to this year is not listening to maybe like BGN Radio and us talking about the Eagles, but maybe coming to this podcast and hearing about other good teams, like fun football teams. Well, let's jump right into the Monday night game. The, uh, the Rams, excuse me, get the 27-24 win there's so much stuff that happened in this game, but I think I want to start with the Tampa Bay side of it because you and I sort of disagree a little bit. So I will let you go first. Go, you know, put the nail in the Tom Brady coffin and criticize him and just sink the bucks for the rest of the year. I mean, Tom Brady looked terrible last night. He was awful. He averaged 4.5 yards per attempt. What is that? What what year are we in where, where that's going on? Uh, he had two interceptions. He should have had another one that was just dropped by John Johnson. That was a terrible decision to throw that ball because uh, Brady was looking for, I believe it was Mike Evans down the field, and there was safety help all the way on the play. So I, I have no idea what Tom Brady was looking at at that one. And then – the fumble in the end zone that was not ruled a fumble to me was a terrible call that absolutely should have been a fumble. This is like some tuck rule BS. Um, I mean, how do you not reward the defender there when he's like knocking Tom Brady's arm and the ball is falling out? So Tom Brady easily could have had four turnovers in that game. Um, he's had five interceptions in his last three games now. Obviously, he bounced back um, from that bad Saints loss with the win over the, over the Panthers here. But this is this is the problem, Stats. I'm not going to say that Tom Brady is totally cooked and he can't have good games, but I just don't think we can see the consistency from him to take this team to a Super Bowl. I can't argue that he played well last night. He clearly didn't. I mean, there was the offense was terrible in general. Dan Orlovsky pointed out they ran 67 plays and they only put a guy in motion on six of them. That is not something you usually see with the offenses of today. But here's my point on Brady. And like, I don't know if you're aware of this, 
But the dude is 43 years old. Like, he's going to have weeks where he looks awful. Like, we've just sort of forgotten and normalized that he's 43. Like, perfect example. Brian Greasy called the game last night on Monday Night Football. They were teammates at Michigan. Like, Brian Greasy hasn't played in 12 years. And Brady's still going at 43. So he's going to have weeks where he looks like this. But if you're the Bucs, you didn't get Brady for the regular season. You got him to get you into the playoffs and hopefully you catch lightning in a bottle. That's why you get him. And Tampa's seven and four now. They've got two games against the Falcons left. They got a game against the Lions left. They're going to be fine. They're going to get into the tournament. And I think if you're Tampa, you say Tom Brady in the playoffs with the weapons we have around him, we'll take our chances. But I think that's part of the problem, Stats, is like that inconsistency is going to show up in the playoffs. And that, and that's part of the problem. He's not the same guy in that regard, um, where he's usually a machine and the consistency is there. And now also, I mean, this loss to me, I mean, really kind of jeopardizes any, I mean, I don't think they already had a great chance of winning the NFC South. I know you might disagree with me here and please go off if you do, but I just think <laughs> like losing this game, you know, further jeopardizes that they're seven and four. Now the saints are eight and two and they get to play Denver and Atlanta again, up- upcoming here. And obviously the saints have that uh, tiebreaker over the bucks. So that's pretty valuable. So I just think it's going to be tough. Yeah. The chances in the division are not great. I don't think it's out of the question just because Taysom Hill is there and he's so inexperienced at quarterback to me, the Saints could lose any game they play with him just because like like Vic, they're playing Denver, right? Vic Fangio is a great defensive head coach. It wouldn't stun me if he came up with a game plan that really confused the hell out of Taysom Hill. So I, I don't know what to expect from the Saints going forward, although I do agree it's likely they win the division. But to me, if you're Tampa, like especially with no home field advantage, like who cares? Just get into the tournament. We've got Brady and Gronk and Mike Evans and Conley and Leonard Fournette, all these guys, and we'll take our chances. The thing is, though, they just have to play an extra game. You know, I think the Bucks getting that number one seed would have been so valuable for them, especially because like you give Brady that week of extra rest, um, and I just don't think they're going to get that. Uh, anything else in the Bucks, or do we want to flip it to the Rams here? No, I think that's it. I, I've said all year my last point on the Bucks is – that defense is not nearly as good as Bruce Arians thinks it is. They do mm. not scare me in Tampa Bay on defense at all. To me, it keeps coming up again. I know Brady gets a lot of the focus, but to me, their defense is not impressive at all. I think that's a hot take. I what, like why not? I mean, you look at like the metrics, right? They're still pretty good in those. I mean, they're they're the number one overall DVOA defense. I think you look at like opponent yards per play. Um, they're probably high up. In, yeah, they're top three in that. I mean, who are you staying awake at night worrying about on that defense? I mean, their linebackers are have been pretty nice, right? Is, is Levante David like, I got to know where he is on every play? I don't know. To me, just I'm not terrified of the Bucks' defense at all. Like you say, give me a quarterback, any competent quarterback with two minutes to go needing to drive down the field on that defense. I take the offense every time. I think it's not just the players, though. I think, I think Bowles is really good. I think that's part of the thing. Okay. I mean, if you, if Todd Bowles is your guy and that's fine, I just, I don't know. I have my doubts about Tampa's defense. Uh, let's go over to the Rams side of things. Cause they did actually win the game. We should probably talk about them. Um, you and I are texting last night and I mean, Sean McVay gets bailed out of one of the worst head coaching decisions I've ever seen. And you, I give full credit to you because you have been saying for weeks that Sean McVay is a coward and it's third and eight. 
The Bucks are in field goal range, but they're, you know, they want to score a touchdown, obviously, to, to put the game out of reach. And he runs the ball on third and eight and settles for the field goal. And I I was just stunned. Like, I didn't know what else to say. And then I looked at my phone starts going off and it's messages from you <laughs> just ripping Sean McVay to shreds. Yeah, I mean, obviously McVay does a lot of things well when it comes to scheme and, and play calling and whatever. But I mean, we've been saying this all year on the podcast here, Stats. Like, he, McVay is a coward. He's a huge coward. And it wasn't just that play at the end of the game where they're running on third down, it wasn't even like a quarterback, you know, or it wasn't even like a running back draw, you know, where they're trying to like trick the defense and outthink them. I mean, it was just like, it looked like a fairly predictable kind of play. I mean, the Bucks weren't fooled at all for sure. And that was not the only occasion in this game where McVay's cowardice, um, you know, potentially cost this team points. I mean, you look at that fourth and two at the Buccaneers 26 yard line, they settled for, a field goal, 44-yard field goal attempt from Matt Gay. He misses it wide right. Like, it, it's so frustrating to me, too, in part because it reminds me of when McVay um, cowardly didn't go for uh, go for it in the NFC Championship game that they won. But it's so it's like he gets bailed out of these decisions, and it's, it's not fair. Like, the football gods should punish him, but they don't. Um, so it's frustrating, and it's kind of like a results over process thing. But... Uh, yeah, I hate it. It sucks. Yeah, and the fact that Brady threw an interception and the Rams won the game doesn't absolve Sean McVay. Like, that doesn't make his decision correct. It just means, as you pointed out last night to me, that Tom Brady sucks too. Like, both can do bad things. It's not one or the other. Yeah, it's it's undeserved in some ways. But, I mean, look, as a whole, I think the Rams are – I move them up to top four stats in my power rankings. I have them at number four now, big jump from 10. Uh, I just like the edge this team plays with. I know that's, like, very anecdotal, maybe even football guy thing to say. But I think it's true. This team, like, has an energy. They have a swagger. The defense is really tough. It's really good. Uh, I, I really like the energy and, like, the, the chutzpah this team plays with. Well, like I just said about the Bucks, right? Like who keeps you up at night? If you're the Rams, Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey, they keep me up at night. Ramsey's as locked down of a corner as you can get now in the modern NFL. Aaron Donald is an absolute offensive game plan wrecker. I don't even care what stats he puts up because there are so many things he does that don't show up, show up on the stat sheet. He just can completely wreck your game plan. The Rams defense is really good. I give credit to Brandon Staley, their new defensive coordinator. I mean, replacing Wade Phillips is never an easy thing to do. The one thing I'll say about the Rams is, and I agree with you that they're very good, but they, to me, sort of epitomize the NFC because I think the Rams can beat anybody in the league, and I think the Rams can lose to anybody in the league. And I just think that's sort of where the NFC is right now. There's no dominant team, um, no matter where you look, really, in the conference. Yeah, golf still doesn't scare me, which is ultimately why I don't feel like as, as good as I maybe could about the Ram ceiling here. Um, but I mean, when you have offensive weapons like Cooper Cup and Robert Woods, who, by the way, combined for 23 receptions last night for 275 yards and one touchdown, uh, not too shabby. And those guys kind of fit what I was talking about with that edge thing. Like those are guys who can get yards after the catch. They're tough. They're physical. Uh, I like to see that for sure. But yeah, when you're talking about the outlook of the NFC as a whole and how the Rams sit in there. So right now, um, I have them as my number two team, 
behind the scenes who we kind of talked a little bit about earlier but the whole thing is wide open there's no like you know stone cold like mortal lock that you feel amazing about like oh this team is definitely uh going to be representing the nfc in the super bowl 100 percent. i do want to sneak in two more things about this game one the rams snuck a late field goal to get the lead going into halftime and that was very good for them because sean mcveigh is now 32 and 0 in his rams head coaching career when his team has the lead at halftime which is incredible and uh, this last thing is just a question for you as someone who covers the eagles for bleeding green nation i mean are we at the point right now where you would rather have jared goff than carson wentz they went one two in the draft I mean, with the way Carson Wentz is playing right now, and if I'm trying to win a game on Sunday, yeah, obviously. I mean, Wentz is terrible. In the long term, um, I mean, maybe also, but golf isn't like, I still don't feel like, okay, the Eagles quarterback position is solved at that point. So, yeah, I think if you're asking me, is it going to be an upgrade? Yeah, no question. But like, golf is not my guy by any means still. All right, that is the Monday night game. And now I want to get into the Indianapolis Colts a little bit because they get a huge win over the Packers, an absolute great game. The defense lets up 28 points in the first half and then basically shuts the Packers down the whole second half of the game except for three points in the fourth quarter. Let's talk to Bob Kravitz of The Athletic, senior writer for The Athletic. He's going to help us break down what happened in this one. All right, BLG, this is part of the show that I have been looking forward to because I distinctly remember you at the beginning of the year saying that while you thought the Colts would be good with Phillip Rivers, you wondered about the ceiling for this team, given Rivers' age and some of the things we've seen from him lately. Well, the Colts get a huge win this week. The defense is playing out of their minds. Phillip Rivers seems to have at least something left in the tank. So we thought we would go to Indianapolis and see if our prior assumptions about the Colts were wrong. So we are very pleased and privileged to bring in Bob Kravitz, senior writer for The Athletic. He was with the Indianapolis Star forever. He's seen everything when it comes to the Colts. Bob, how you doing? I am tremendous. How are you, gentlemen? Doing well. Thank you very much for the time. You have a column right now on The Athletic that was basically plucked from our heads on this show, and it's called The Colts Have Aspirations for Something Bigger Than Just Making the Playoffs. Like I just said, we thought this team had a ceiling on it. Me too. Do you think that that ceiling is now gone? You know, I don't think that it's gone because they still don't have uh, a lot in the way of wide receivers. You know, I, I think this offense can be stopped by by an elite defense. Uh, they don't have a great running game. Um, so I do think there is a ceiling uh, unless proven otherwise, guys. But um, there, I thought there were a 9-17 coming out of camp. I thought there are nine and seventeen that would probably make the expanded playoffs and get run in the first round. But uh, this defense has been significantly better than I thought it would be. The special team has been really good, and Philip, for the last five games, has been absolutely tremendous. So um, I think maybe we were guilty of understating just how difficult it is to move a family of nine halfway across the country and getting acclimated to a, a, a new program, a new city. And so it's taken him a little bit of time, but he's playing, he's balling out right now. Bob, as someone who covers the Eagles, I'd be remiss not to ask you about Frank Rolls, or sorry, Frank, Ro- Frank Reich's role in the Colts' success here. Just how much credit like does he deserve? Like what specifically um, has he done to have the Colts in this position as not only 
Um, you know, we talked about this big win over the Packers. I mean, they're top five in point differential and DVOA, and more importantly, top five in my power rankings now. Well, that's the important thing. You know, I've been in this business forever, and I still don't know what the hell DVOA means, but I know it's important, at least, you know. Um, so, yeah, they, they, um, they've they been really good. I mean, uh, they, they face this murderer's row schedule uh, of uh, Tennessee twice, Baltimore, and Green Bay, and they've gone two and one, and now they got Tennessee at home uh, next Sunday. But um, – despite some of the questions that you had coming out of camp, like their secondary. Uh, well, oops, here comes Justin, Justin, I keep calling him Justin, Julian Blackman, uh, who's been absolutely terrific. Xavier Rhodes has been playing like a pro bowler, the, the pro bowler that he once was. Anyway, you asked about Frank Reich, which it just occurred to me. Uh, Frank has been terrific. Um, Frank uh, is, is a leader of men. He is uh, very, very aggressive, sometimes more aggressive than I think he should be. But what does my opinion really matter in the grand scheme of things? Um, he's got this team believing. Uh, they, I think they got caught up in the momentum of the fast start a little bit last year and never quite recovered. But, um, you know, I, I really felt like this five and two was real as opposed to last year's five and two because you've got you know, Philip Rivers playing well and the defense was has been lights out. And that wasn't the case last year. Yeah. You mentioned in your column that Jim Ursay said that this is the best defense this team has had since 1995. Now that it was really surprising to me. You've seen a lot of Colts defenses. Do you agree with Jim Ursay? You know, I wasn't here in 95. I've seen the stats and they had, they were good, but uh, the 2005 and 2007 Colts with uh, with uh, Bob Sanders in that group uh, with Freeney and Mathis, uh, that was that was a pretty outstanding group. So I would disagree with the owner there, but uh, this is definitely one of the best defenses. And really, it's not a very high bar when it comes to the Colts and defense, to be honest, <laughs> because you know for years and years and years this has been known as Peyton Manning's team or Andrew Luck's team. And now all of a sudden they're playing good defense, which is something they just haven't done a lot of over the course of the last 20, 30 years. You know, certainly since they've been in Indianapolis since 84. So uh, they're a damn good group. I'll tell you what, DeForest Buckner has made a huge difference. So here the Colts stand. They're 7-3. and three. They're at top of the AFC South here. They have a, another big game this week against the Titans, who they just beat on Thursday Night Football the other week. Uh, where do the Colts go from here for the rest of the season? What's the outlook? Well, you know, they got the one more tough game against Tennessee. They still got tough games against Vegas and uh, Pittsburgh. And they haven't beaten Pittsburgh since about 1837. So uh, I don't like their chances. Plus, you know, Pittsburgh is Pittsburgh right now. Um but I see no reason why they can't win, you know, win 10, 11 games at this point. I thought they were a nine-win team to start, but the way they're going, I see no reason looking at this schedule why they can't win 10 and 11 and win the AFC South. So Sunday is, Sunday's, you know, the big, the big one because if they can knock off Tennessee and then just sort of hang on for dear life through the rest of the schedule, which is not as challenging, I think they win the AFC South going away. Last question for me, Bob, and I, I hate to be this guy, but I, I just have to bring this up. But you are that guy. That, yeah, that's accurate. <laughs> Where is this team if Andrew Luck hasn't retired? You know, it's funny you ask that because I started uh, tooling around with a column on just that subject 
I think they're nine and one. Can you imagine this guy with a great uh, pass pro group in front of him and a great defense? Imagine. <laughs> and that's all you can do because they never had it when he was here. Um, you know, the running game hasn't been quite as good as we would have hoped. They don't have great skill position people. T.Y. Hilton is, you know, on the uh, 17th hole of his career. But, yeah, I think you, you look at the games they've lost, and they've been pretty much on Phillip Rivers. Uh, certainly two of the first three uh, have been on Rivers. Uh, Jacksonville, he just made a terrible mistake. Cleveland, he threw a ridiculous pick six. Um, Baltimore, they just were terrible in the second half offensively. But, yeah, I think with Andrew, this team, along with uh, Patrick Mahomes um, and the Chiefs, are probably the two Super Bowl favorites coming out of the AFC. Speaking of the quarterback here, again, I had to shoe in an Eagles angle here. Um, so <laughs> I, I, I want to know what, what the Colts you are doing. about Trey Burton? <laughs> yeah. Well, there is that. Um, I, I want to know what they do at quarterback here because, you know, Phillip Rivers is a free agent after this year. He turns 39 soon. Uh, Jacoby Brissett, also a free agent. Jacob Eason is on the, ro- the roster. They drafted him. Um, but what's their long-term outlook at quarterback? Because you just mentioned, you know, Rivers being a part of the problems this year. Uh, so what do you think happens? Well, uh, I think that, you know, I mean, Chris Ballard, the GM, has said from the beginning he's not going to just grab a quarterback to grab a quarterback. And, you know, you don't snap your fingers and two years later you find the replacement for Andrew Luck, you know. But I think I think if the right guy is out there, they will be very aggressive about moving up in the draft. I think they've got the kind of capital now where they can do something like that. But I think short term, I think uh, they'll bring back Rivers assuming Rivers doesn't completely fall apart, and I don't suspect that he will. But I think they'll keep uh, Phillip and, um, you know, maybe try and find that guy next year or the year after that in the draft or free agency. Uh, but I, I don't I don't know that they're going to go to another bridge quarterback. I think they'll go straight from Phillip to the next guy, whoever the next guy is. I don't know, I don't think, but I, I don't know that, that Eason is necessarily that guy. Bob Kravitz, senior writer for The Athletic. Thank you very much for the time. We appreciate it. Okay, my pleasure, guys. Thank you. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, the world has waited, so now we will dive into the BLG 100% Week 12 Power Rankings. Let me read the top 10, and then we can sort of pick and choose which teams we want to talk about number one the Steelers they were number one last week they're undefeated no shock there Kansas City holds down the number two spot for the second week in a row the Saints are at number three also for the second week in a row 
The Rams jump up to number four, like you mentioned, up from number 10 last week. That's a big jump for them. The Colts go from 13 to five, another huge jump. I like all the movement in the, in the power ranks this week, Brandon. Yeah, you know, sometimes it, it goes with the uh, – it depends what happens around it, you know, and there's teams at the top that lost, and I think, you know, some some teams that I was underrating before, like the Rams and the Colts. That's why these are the best power rankings, because you're willing to admit when changes need to be made. So I like it. Uh, Packers at six, Bills at seven, Seahawks at number eight, Bucks fall to number nine, and the Vegas Raiders at number 10. I have to say that is pretty surprising to me. Well, I had to move them up because, you know, they look good in that Chiefs game. Uh, you know, you almost got your survivor pick right this week. Uh, your your risky it, survivor man. pick. It was close. I mean, the fact that they came close to sweeping the Chiefs, who I think you could really put reasonably number one at the top of these power rankings if you wanted to. It's it's hard to argue with it, even though the Steelers are undefeated. Um, Raiders look good, man. I mean, they're they're a quality team. They belong in the playoffs. I think that's clear. They had their whole defense was on the COVID list and couldn't practice, and they still almost won this game. And I tried to to talk to you during the week and say, hey, the whole defense is now mysteriously not going to practice. Can I change my survivor pick? And you just responded with one word, and that ended the whole argument, and that was? No. But in fairness, it almost worked out for you. That's true. So, uh, I yeah, that's my top 10 stats. Um Wanted to get to in here the Seahawks uh, at number eight, so I moved them back into the top ten. I had them eleven because you've been harping on the Seattle defense the whole year, and they certainly are bad. No, no mistakes about it. You know, still last in the NFL when it comes to passing yards allowed per game. But hey, look, I think their defense hasn't been as abysmal over the past two weeks here, uh, and and if that's and that's big. If they can just be respectable. I mean, they're going to be in good shape with Russ because I think Russ is going to continue to bounce back like he did against the Cardinals on Thursday Night Football. And really, uh, really interesting test this week against the Eagles here because uh, Seattle has a chance to reach 8-3, and three, and this Eagles offense stats is terrible. They can't do anything. Carson Wentz is looking miserable. So if this Seattle defense gets uh, torched or, you know, if the Eagles can put up points on this Seattle defense, then, yeah, I think there's no hope for that defense. Um, but I think this could be another opportunity for them to kind of gain positive momentum in that regard and kind of build on what they've been doing defensively, where really, I mean, the defense wins them the game against the Cardinals with, uh, uh, you know, the final play. I mean, we're giving them credit because they're not, like, historically the worst defense we've ever seen. Like, that's where we are with this Seahawks team? That's all they need, though. They don't need amazing defense. They, if their defense can just be fine or, like, whatever – they're in good shape. Yeah. I mean, I agree that they don't need much out of the defense. Um, they they have been somewhat better, like you said, but again, I just, they're not going to get magically better. I know Carlos Dunlap had a nice sack at the end of the game and everyone's thinking like, oh, that's going to, you know, round them into shape. I'm not buying it. Jamal Adams is a good pass rusher, but as a safety, he really can't cover anybody. You know, they've got a bunch of cupcakes coming up on the schedule. I mean, it is incredible. They got the Eagles, the Giants, the Jets, Washington. So their defense is going to look a lot better coming down the stretch of the season. People are going to be like, look, it's getting better. It's rounding into form. And then they're going to get to the playoffs and they're going to get absolutely worked. And it's going to be all on Russ's shoulders again. And I even think that part of the reason you're seeing Russ turn the ball over as much as he has is because he's worried about that defense. He's like, I got to score every time. So he's forcing some plays that maybe normally he wouldn't force if the defense was anything close to what we've seen from Seattle in recent years. 
I'm sure you would just hate to see the Seahawks defense get torched in the playoffs. Yeah, it would really, you know, really just send me into a deep, deep spiral of shame and misery. Stats. I also wanted to bring up real quick the Dolphins here. I moved them out of the top. Uh, I had them five last week. I moved them out of the top 10. I had to drop them to 11. I mean, what is that? You're losing to the Broncos? Um, you know, you brought up earlier, Vic Fangio can coach a defense, and I think yes. that's part of the problem here. Uh, the Dolphins' offensive line isn't good, and, you know, with that high draft pick they have from Houston in the 2021 NFL draft year, they're, I imagine they're going to invest in the offensive line as they should. But uh, but weird situation. I mean, Tua gets benched. Um, he's still the starter. Uh, I'm hoping for the Dolphins sake, this is like kind of just a trap game for them. They still have some easy games coming up here in their schedule. Uh, what did you make of that Miami loss? I think exactly what, what you said and sort of what I mentioned. Fangio can scheme it up, man. Don't sleep on that. And when you're going up against an inexperienced quarterback, that matters. You know, even teams that we don't necessarily think are good can still, it's, it's hard to come in and play in the NFL, man. You're seeing things you haven't seen. Tua has been banged up. He's been, you know, rehabbing, trying to get healthy. It didn't shock me that he struggled. And I, I kind of like the move from Flores to bring in Fitzpatrick to see if you can, you know, sneak out a win here. I, I think there's nothing wrong with that if you're the Dolphins. The real point of playing Tua is to evaluate him and see what you have for next year. Anything you do this year is gravy. And I think that so far, Flores feels like he's gotten a pretty good evaluation of Tua. They feel like he can play a little bit, right? Like you're comfortable going into next year with Tua. So if he's struggling and you got to take him out and put in Fitzpatrick, that's fine. I don't think you're messing up your long-term plans. And and if you can get some extra wins out of it, all the more for it. So you're saying it's okay to bench a quarterback. Is that what you're telling me? Yeah. Why? So, well, I, I'll parlay this into an Eagles thing, as I always do, stats. So I drop down from number 26 to 30th. Only the Jags and the Jets lower than the Eagles now. <laughs> In my power rankings, I'm all the way because they're terrible and there's really no easy fix. And there's a good article on Bleeding Green Nation about this kind of outlying, um, uh, and this by Benjamin Solak, I should say, on Bleeding Green Nation, where the Eagles are in this really tough situation stats where like they kind of are stuck. Like they can't really move on from Carson Wentz, but he's absolutely playing at a level where he deserves to be benched. I want to get your take on it as an outsider from afar. I'm of the mind that he should be benched. Would you bench Carson Wentz? Yes, I would bench Carson Wentz because while they can't move on from him contractually, there's nothing in the contract that says he has to start. And I want to give credit to whoever said this, and I can't remember who it was on Twitter, but basically the way he's playing now, that's like the downside of Jalen Hurts pretty much. So you might as well put in the real Jalen Hurts and see if you could get the upside of his career. Like you are gaining nothing from Carson Wentz playing. And the only reason to keep him in there is just, stubbornness pretty much like well we gave up a lot to get him and we're paying a lot of money so we have to keep playing him which makes zero sense to me yeah well i'm right there with you there's, a, there's so i have a few points on this one is that it's amazing how jalen hurts is good enough for the eagles to take at number 53 overall in the draft this year but he's also simultaneously not good enough to replace carson wentz who is playing like one of the worst quarterbacks in the nfl and deserves to be benched and then it's interesting because Doug Peterson keeps talking about it would send the wrong message for the Eagles to bench Carson Wentz and devil's advocate to that. Um, Cause his point is that like it would, you know, send a message that the season is over, whatever. Like I don't, how though I look at the, the other way, I would look at it as if you're actually not accepting uh, or you're saying that the season isn't over by making a quarterback change because you're willing to do something drastic and aggressive to, to get better results and like, how is it 
possibly a meritocracy here? Like, how can you possibly preach that message that the players who, you know, practice the hardest and they play the hardest and, you know, they, they perform, like, deserve to be in the starting lineup if you have Carson Wentz out there? Because he doesn't right now. His numbers are terrible. And look, I'm not going to say every single thing wrong with the Eagles is on him. I think they're a mess across the board. I've said this, but he's a pretty big factor as the starting quarterback. And I absolutely think he needs to be benched. And there are two mes- Two main reasons why stats. One, uh, I want to see how he responds to being challenged like that and being held accountable because I think maybe that could actually be uh, a good thing for him in the long term. Maybe it will help him wake up and smell the roses, uh, whatever. Maybe it won't, but I think that's an angle you can think about. And number two, can we please see just how much the quarterback is to blame for what's going on with the Eagles offensive struggles. There's a lot of talk out there that like, Oh, it's actually not Carson Wentz's fault or not all of his fault. It's Doug Peterson. The offense is terrible. Carson Wentz can't possibly look good in this offense. I mean, I am, I just think that's kind of BS and I would like to see Jalen hurts come in. And so we could test that theory. Yes. I know all about fans not wanting to criticize the quarterback covering the 49ers. Trust me. The Jimmy Garoppolo <laughs> love is real. Um, I just think that you nailed it. Any other position that someone was playing at the level of Carson Wentz is playing at, and they would be benched. It wouldn't even be, you wouldn't have to give a press conference about it. It wouldn't be a problem. And I get that quarterback is not like other positions. I understand that. But at some point, the message it sends to the other team, to to your team, like you brought up with, with what Peterson said, it's a bad message by keeping him in there. So to me, I think you bench him, you bring in Hurts. You know, like you said, if you invested the pick in him, you might as well see what you have. You did it for a reason. I don't think it was just to protect against an injury by Carson Wentz. It's to protect the team. That's what that's what Howie and everybody was saying when he was picked. Well, now you need that protection. So I, I totally agree with you. Bring him in. See what's there. What is the downside? Oh, no, you have two quarterbacks that you really think can play? Like what? I don't understand what would be the bad part of Jalen Hurts coming in and being successful. Uh, flipping it to the other side of the Eagles matchup this week, stats the Browns. So I have 15th. I didn't move them up despite their win. And uh, it was a big win for them in terms of the playoff standings because they're 7-3 and three now. They're currently set to be the sixth seed in the AFC playoff picture. It's a competitive field there because you have the Raiders at 6-4, and four, uh, the, the, Ra- or the Ravens also at 6-4, and four, the Dolphins fell to 6-4. and four. Um, so it's a, it's a competitive race there, but the Browns just don't look that impressive to me. And this is, you know, my first chance to watch them fully in a little bit here. And, uh, yeah, so I think they can make the playoffs. I mean, they, they have the, um, Jags up here next, so they can easily reach eight and three, but I just don't think they're going to make any kind of serious noise in the postseason. They have such a narrow path to victory. They have to run the ball, and their their run game can be dominating with Chubb and Hunt for sure. But if they can't run the ball, I have zero confidence in Baker Mayfield to make enough plays to get this team to win. Uh, I'm going to be fascinated to watch it because I do like the Browns, and I'm sort of rooting as a person who roots for the Seattle Mariners, who have the longest playoff drought in North American professional sports. I'm rooting for the Browns because they have a 17-year playoff drought, so I'd like to see some sort of hope that streaks like that can end. But I agree with you that they are very, very one-dimensional and game script can work against them very quickly. 
Yeah, I just Baker missed some real easy throws that were there to be made. Like it's had a guy on the on their first drive. Um, you know, the Eagles end up getting a goal line stand, but on like the third down on that on that drive, Baker Mayfield just misses or second down one of those misses just like a wide open target in the end zone, just streaking free. It's like what is he looking at? And there were other plays in like in that game kind of like that where uh, I think like inconsistency from Baker was kind of keeping the Eagles in the game a little bit more than they should have been. So yeah, just really not super impressed with the Browns as a whole. I mean, now Nick Chubb on, a, on the other hand, I mean, that run he had where he just like just totally stiff, stiff arms, Joe Ospin, who just got elevated from the practice squad for his first NFL game. I mean, geez, like the like classic welcome to the NFL cliche moment. But, uh, but yeah, so, so I love, I do love, you know, Nick Chubb and, and the running game. Sure. But I just, I really wonder about their, uh, postseason viability um, stats. I want to throw someone else in the pit of misery this week. Please follow Sir Brad. He's going to give you a private tour of the pit of misery. Who is it? Natty Patty, Matt Patricia from the (laughs) Detroit Lions. I mean, I dropped the Lions from 21st to 28th in my power rankings here. I mean, just a pathetic performance to go out uh, after, you know, they, they almost blow a big lead to Washington and really should have lost that game. And in my opinion, Matt Patricia would already be fired by now if he did lose that game to Washington like he should have. Um, he should be fired right now. Now, of course, Lions are playing on a short week here. They're playing on Thanksgiving against Houston. But I think Houston's going to be the final nail in his coffin. I think they're going to lose to the Texans. I think he's going to get fired. I want to throw Matt Patricia into the pit of misery here because he's a terrible head coach. Uh, he's he shouldn't be here already. Like he shouldn't have entered this season probably as the head coach. He should have been gone a long time ago. Uh, I think the Lions also have to look at changing their uh, GM uh, Bob Quinn there. But Matt Patricia has to go. And stats. It's important. I feel like to to really note here that this isn't like the Adam Gase situation where I think the Jets need to keep Adam Gase to make sure they continue to lose and get that number one pick. I mean you know, the the Lions are kind of a little too good for that now um, since they have a few wins here. Like, I think you got to get Patricia out of the building ASAP after Thanksgiving. Yeah, I, I don't understand why he still has a job. I mean, you had the Lions before the season even saying, if you don't, if you're not in contention for a playoff spot, we're going to get rid of you. Well, I mean, they're just, they don't have it if you're the Lions. You could tell. I mean, they've been getting worse. They were six and 10 in his first year, then they were three and 12. I know they got four wins this year, but there's just nothing there with this team. Whether it's the defense not playing well, whether it's the situational coaching by Matt Patricia not being good, there's no part of this team that's promising right now. And I agree with you. You, what do you have to gain by keeping Matt Patricia there? I think a change needs to be made. The whole regime, I agree. GM, coach, everybody. And I hate to keep doing this to the Lions fans, but you got to go back into that world of sort of rebuilding because you just, there's nothing there for you right now. Pit of misery. Let's get off of the power rankings because we're going to get to some other teams. Let's go to the survivor picks. And I have to, I have to say, you are crushing me in the survivor <laughs> picks right now. You are eight and two. I am six and four. My only sort of relief slash excuse is that I live dangerously with the survivor picks. Mm. I picked against the Chiefs twice this year. Like, I go out on a limb, and you are Mr. Safety Zone picking against the Jets, the Giants, and the Eagles every week. Well, look, I'm playing the win here, Stats. You play to win the game. (laughs) You don't play to just play. Okay, Herm. Uh, So where are you going this week, then? I'm going to pick pretty safely this week, actually. (laughs) What the heck is this? You rip me, and then you go. Well, now I have a gap to make up. You see? Okay. I'm going Chargers over the Bills. And I know the records Mm. are different, but 
I think Justin That's not Herbert. Safe. I think Justin Herbert is a stud, man. I think he's the best quarterback in this game. I think the Bills' defense is vulnerable. They're way worse than we thought they were going to be going into the year. And I do not think we're going to see the Josh Allen that we saw earlier in the year. I think that guy is gone. I, I think that was more of a hot streak than like the baseline for what Josh Allen's going to be. I think Herbert's going to be slinging it all over the place, and Allen's going to have to throw it to try and get back into it, and they're not going to be able to. I love the Chargers this week against Buffalo. I mean, that's not a safe pick, but I do agree with your Justin Herbert love. I just think with the Chargers, I mean, like they even didn't make it look easy against the Jets, or at least as easy as they should have. They didn't cover. They were favored by nine and a half. Um, yeah, so uh, hmm, who am I going to take here? I'm looking at the schedule. There's some tempting options here. I mean, I could go the coward route. Totally I guess, unprepared for the survivor picks. I'm, I'm I'm prepared, but I'm weighing here. I'm looking at this and I'm like Dolphins versus Jets. I mean, you're gonna, then you're going to rip me for saying it's too easy. Um, how about a team that I already talk about a lot every week? Uh, how about I just take the Seahawks to beat the Eagles because the Eagles are listless and the Seahawks stats uh, own the Eagles. I mean, Russell Wilson is undefeated against this team. I like to think he takes it personally for the Eagles uh, passing on him three times in the draft. Uh, he once texted the Eagles, as Daniel Jeremiah said, that if you draft me, I will lead you to championships. Last Eagles did not draft him. They did draft Nick Foles instead, and that kind of worked out a little bit. But Yeah, they got just as many pre- championships that as Russell has. Well, I think they could have won more. I think the Eagles could have won more if they had Russell Wilson. I mean, think about it. It would have been Andy Reid and Russell Wilson paired together. I mean, not a bad combo. Yeah, um, it would have been out with- of the NFC West, so way to screw it up, Eagles. <laughs> so I'm going to take the Seahawks this week. Uh, again, Eagles just kind of listless right now. There should be there should be no good reason to feel good about the Eagles. So once again, you are going out on a limb, picking against a team that you have, what, ranked 30th in your power rankings? <laughs> again, you play to win. You got to play smart. That's, that's the name of the game. Uh-huh. All right, let's get to the oddities because there's a bunch of them this week, and they're all sort of weird. Uh, first one came in the Ravens-Titans game. Patrick Queen, his helmet came off and he got cleated in the face from Derrick Henry's shoe. And it was just, he was trying to tackle Henry behind him and he dove and Henry's cleat comes up and rips the helmet right off of him. Yeah, that looks pretty uh, ugly when you watch that one. I mean, it looks like the cleats almost like get into Patrick Queen's face. I mean, that's not good. That's not good. And the Titans got into the Ravens face for the second time at that field. I mean, they beat him in the playoffs earlier this year and they beat him this week. Not a good look for the Ravens right now. They're kind of struggling. Yeah, I mean, they're one and three in their last four. Uh, the offense, as we've said all year, just does not look right. Continues to not look right. I mean, Lamar Jackson, far from his MVP form. I dropped the Ravens down to 14th, as I said, in my power rankings, out of the top 10. Uh, if the season ended today, stats, Baltimore wouldn't even be in the playoffs. They're famous if the season ended today. Which it doesn't. <laughs> all right, next up, we're staying in that division. This was weird. Juju Smith-Schuster hurts himself coming off the field. He's He ends up stepping on a penalty flag. He takes a misstep, and he hurts his foot or his ankle or his toe, something down there. And Mike Tomlin said it wasn't serious, but I've never seen a guy literally have a flag basically thrown underfoot, and he steps on it and gets hurt. Well, remember that play? I can't remember who it was now, but like where a ref threw a flag into a player's eye, and it like hurt their eye. Courtney Brown, yeah. Okay, yeah. So what are these refs doing? I mean, can we like alter the flags or something? Like they're, they're dangerous. They did alter. After the, he threw it in the eye, there used to be a BBs in the flag for the weight. And now they use sand. I guess that's hmm. 
better. I don't know why that's taking up space in my brain, but it is. Uh, and then two more, and they both come from the Dallas Cowboys. The first is Andy Dalton threw the game-winning touchdown pass to Dalton Schultz. It is, according to NFL research, the first touchdown pass in NFL history where the last name of the quarterback that threw it exactly matched the first name of the receiver who caught it. That is really like, – I, I can't believe that. I feel like that – like how has that not happened once before? Then I was just racking my brain trying to think of like other possible combinations that it could have happened. But hey, I far be it for me to doubt NFL research. So that was really weird. Congrats to the Cowboys on the win, by the way. And maybe they got the win, BLG, because they were so motivated by Mike McCarthy, who apparently <laughs> this week used a sledgehammer to smash watermelons at a team meeting to emphasize the Cowboys' objectives. This is the part of football stats where I kind of just like have to check myself from what we do here. It's like, what are we doing? Like, what are we covering? Like, this is it's so weird. It's so bizarre. It's not a normal job environment at all. It's crazy. It's insane. This kind of makes me think of when like Mike Zimmer like was stabbing puppets or something to like motivate his team. Like, I mean, football coaches are just they're not normal dudes. And the players are not normal players. And you got to be careful with this sort of stunt, BLG. I don't know if you remember when Jack Del Rio was with the Jaguars, he thought it was a cool idea to bring a stump into the locker room with an axe. And players were taking turns hacking at the stump with the axe. And then their Pro Bowl punter, Chris Hansen, tried to do it. And something happened. And they ended up taking a chunk out of his leg. And he missed the rest of the season. He had to go to the hospital for surgery. Yeah, it feels like when you have these things like that, like something is bound to go wrong here. When you're when you're introducing like weapons and yeah, just not a good idea. So I don't know. I mean, where do you go from here if you're Mike McCarthy? Like, do you have to start blowing stuff up? Uh, maybe. Um, I, I think it's interesting on a more serious note how the Cowboys have like turned it around under him. You know, he had players questioning him earlier in the season anonymously, like to Jane Slater, and then now you have uh, him as everyone's favorite coach because he is busting out watermelons and smashing them with a sledgehammer. I mean, weird times, man, quarterback, good quarterback play makes a hell of a difference, right? The, the, the offense looked better. Zeke looked better. Everything looked better with Andy Dalton there instead of what Brett Danucci was. I don't even remember Danucci's first ben, name. That's ben Danucci. Ben, that's right. Ben Danucci and, uh, and Garrett Gilbert. My God, things have unraveled for the Cowboys this year. I have one more thing, stats on an oddity. It was from Monday Night Football, going back to the top of the show here. So Tom Brady, uh, you know you know how you can't throw the ball twice on one play? Like if you throw the ball and it gets batted and then you catch it as a quarterback, you can't throw it again. Like your first pass counts. But in this <laughs> game, he actually was able to throw the pass twice because – uh, you know, he throws it, it gets deflected. He catches it. He throws it again in a weird way because he didn't really, wasn't able to regrip it. So he kind of just threw it however he could. And Mike Evans catches it, and it's an obvious penalty for an illegal forward pass. But the Rams actually declined the penalty because they want to bring up the fourth down instead of repeating third down. So Tom Brady threw a ball illegally twice on one play that actually counted legally. I thought that was funny. Yeah, you know, those rules are really just for beginners. <laughs> Tom Brady's 43. He's played a long time. Like, he can throw it twice on one play. Look, he can't ever fumble, as we've seen. They'll never call a fumble on Tom Brady, and he could throw it as many times as he needs to. 
All right, that's going to do it for this edition of the Off Day Debrief. Again, please rate, review, and subscribe to the SB Nation NFL show. We really appreciate your ratings and all your comments. Please keep them coming. If you hit us up with a nice little comment, we will give you some love on the show. We love giving shout-outs. And uh, enjoy the games this week. Happy Thanksgiving to everybody, and we'll see you next week. Support for this show comes from HubSpot. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Doing business has never felt harder. But you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You just need HubSpot. Because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this. High-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle. It's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.